On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about the Pope. Uh, a lot of uh, discussion about that in the Catholic Church, obviously, and a lot of beliefs around the idea of the Pope. Going back, they say, all the way to the Apostle Peter, that you can trace a chain of popes, a succession of popes, all the way back to Peter. We're going to examine that on the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, October 28, 2021. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is uh, out of town tonight, uh, preaching down in Florida this weekend. And in this place, I've asked a couple of gentlemen to, to fill in. Uh, for, to first to my right, to Bob Tidwell's here. Hello, Bob. Hey. Glad that you're here. And David Horwath is to your right. Uh, David, welcome. Thank you. Glad, glad, glad you you're here. Kyle's behind the controls, as usual. Kyle, I guess you're the only common uh, thing here tonight. Yeah, it's you know. good to see we got a superstar panel. This is, this is good. This All is right. Good. Well, looking forward to our discussion tonight. And you can help us. We'll need lots of help tonight from our listeners. At 877-381, that's not 877 anymore, it's 931-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com, and if you're watching us live tonight in your, to the bottom of your video feed, join in the chat room and chat with other listeners on the program tonight. We're going to talk about the Pope. Our Catholic friends obviously uh, place a lot of weight on the office of the Pope. We want to look at that tonight. From the scriptures and ask if the idea of the Pope is substantiated and supported from the scriptures. Earlier today to your email inbox, if you're on the email distribution list, we sent four questions that will serve as an outline for our discussion tonight, and we asked for your feedback. Number one, was Peter the first Pope? Why or why not? Number two, does the Bible teach that the office of the Pope should exist? Number three, if the Bible doesn't teach anything about this office, is it okay for it to exist? Why or why not? So even if the Bible doesn't say anything about it, could we have that office? Why or why not? And number four, does the answer to question number three have any implications for other denominational organizations? And so the discussion tonight is centered on Catholicism, but it has application to us all, and we want to talk about that as we get to the end of our program tonight. Again, 931-381-4567 if you'd like to participate in the discussion tonight. Well, if you've talked with Catholics, you understand their um, um, the important weight they place on the Pope, obviously, as the head of the Catholic Church. And they say that his office goes all the way back to the office that Peter held, supposedly. Um, from the website simplycatholic.com, I got this quote. The Second Vatican Council's dogmatic constitution on the church states, in order that the mission entrusted to the apostles might be continued after their death, the apostles consigned by will and testament, as it were, to their immediate collaborators the duty of completing and consolidating the work they had begun, urging them to tend to the whole book, whole flock 
in which the Holy Spirit had appointed them to shepherd the whole church of God. They accordingly designated such men and then made the ruling that likewise on their death other proven men should take over their ministry. It goes on and says, Just as the office which the Lord confided to Peter alone as first of the apostles, destined to be transmitted to his successors, is a permanent one, so also endures the office which the apostles received of shepherding the church, a charge destined to be exercised without interruption by the sacred order of bishops. Therefore, the church holds that bishops have, by by divine institution, taken the place of the apostles as pastors of the church. It reiterates this point by saying that when Christ called the twelve, he constituted them in the form of a college or permanent assembly, at the head of which he placed Peter, chosen from among them. Thus, by the Lord's institution, St. Peter and the rest of the apostles constituted a single apostolic college. And so in like fashion, the Roman pontiff, Peter's successor, and the bishops, the successors of the apostles, are related with and united to one another. And so the Pope today is a successor of Peter. And and so we have the office of the Pope defended by the Catholic Church. And for us to consider tonight, this idea that they placed forward is that Peter was the first Pope. Uh, I've got a book here that, entitled My Catholic Faith, and it answers lots of different questions about the Catholic Church. Um, and on the idea of Peter... The question that they answer, did Christ give any special power in his church to any one of the apostles? And the answer is Christ gave special power in his church to Peter by making him the head of the apostles and the chief teacher and ruler of the entire church. Peter's the ruler of the entire church. He's special. And here's the reasoning they give for that. Number one, when Simon, led by his brother Andrew, first met Christ, our Lord said to him, Thou art Simon, the son of John. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which uh, Cephas, I'm sorry, which uh, means stone or rock. Uh, they say our Lord must have had some special purpose for having Simon's name changed, particularly as the word Kepha uh, was uh, never used as a proper name then. So there must be something about this name change, they say. And number two. When at Caesarea Philippi, Peter made the memorable confession of faith in the name of the apostles. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ promised to make Peter the head of his church. We'll talk about that as we go along. Um, And um, it says, after his resurrection, notice this. Christ, after the resurrection, fulfilled his promise and appointed Peter head of his church, of the church. On the lake of Gennesaret, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Dost thou love me more than these do? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you knowest that I love thee. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He said to him, Simon, uh, feed my lambs. And the third time he said, Simon, son of John, dost thou love me? And Peter was grieved because uh, he said to him, for the third time, dost thou love me? And he said to him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou, uh, thou knowest that I love thee. He said to him, Feed my sheep. By this Christ entrusted to Peter the whole flock, thus making him the head shepherd. The lambs, the weak and the tender portion of the flock, are the laity, and the sheep, those that nourish the lambs, are the pastors, bishops, and priests. So, Peter has a special office appointed by God. What do you think about that? When he's told to feed his sheep. Well, just like with any question, we have to go to the Bible. Yep. And so the question would be um, for us today and whatever our belief system 
may be grounded on, it first must be grounded in the Word of God. Okay. And so then we would see indications after Jesus' death, after we have the uh, passage in Acts and proceeding, then we should see this taking place. And so the question is, is that in the Word of God? And I think we'll be looking at some passages and, and some things where a variety of things are professed, and I don't believe we see Peter uh, mentioned or classified as a pope or uh, a leader of the universal flock. Okay. Bob? Uh, again, uh, when we take a look at... Uh, the establishment of the church, as Jesus promised in Matthew 16, uh, we'll recognize that authority would be given not only to Peter, who's uh, recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, but we also understand that the, all the apostles on that day were also preaching the simple message. Okay. And uh, so... Um, and when we talk about the meaning of the rock, uh, I think there's a difference when you look into a deeper study in that same text that that rock is based upon uh, what is said and not to a certain individual. All right. Uh, let's go to this idea, though, that, uh, that, that, that Christ gave Peter a special office when he told him to feed his sheep. You know, that's interesting because I see in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, that uh, Paul, uh, that Peter said he was a fellow elder, uh, and uh, that, he, that verse 2, that the people he was addressing were told to shepherd the flock of God, just as he was to shepherd the flock of God. There was nothing special about that. And then over in Acts chapter 20, in Acts chapter 20, look at verse 28. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, as Paul is uh, conferring with the elders at Ephesus, uh, look at verse 28 of Acts chapter 20. Uh, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Therefore, he, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among, uh, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. And so they were to uh, be looking out for the flock. There's nothing special about Peter here. The elders that are addressed here are the ones who are to be taking care of doing what Jesus had said. Peter was told to do that, but his charge was no different than any of the other other elders uh, in the first century. Absolutely not. We also see that how did he introduce himself in First Peter one one, Second Peter one one. Let's look at Second Peter one one. Okay. So so. Peter does not have this opinion that he is special. 2 Peter 1 1 says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to who those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Who else calls himself a bondservant? Who else refers to him as a servant and places Christ before him? We have a lot of writings from Paul. Sounds very, very similar to Paul. Yeah. Peter isn't designating himself. He's not saying there's anything special about me. Mm-mm. You need to respect my office. He didn't say that. Um, and so uh, lots of reasons why Peter wasn't the first pope. And if you've got some ideas in the chat room as to why you think he was not the first pope, why don't you send those in the chat room? Uh, but the book goes on uh, as we look at this uh, defense of Peter being a pope. The question is that then... Um, 
Did Peter actually exercise his primacy? Was he exercised the fact that he was the supreme over the church? He was the sole uh, head of the church. It says here, yes, Peter actually exercised his primacy, and the other apostles and the disciples recognized him as the head of the church. Peter was head of the church. Sound very scriptural to you, Bob? Mm-mm. No. No. Uh, here's, here's the reasons why. Peter's name always stands first in the list of apostles. Well, that's proof that he was the Pope. His name is first. Number two, it was Peter that proposed the election to take uh, of another to take the place of Judas. G- Peter proposed that, so he must be the Pope. Hmm. Well, that doesn't sound yeah. interesting. Peter <laughs> preached the first sermon of the day of Pentecost. Peter admitted uh, the first converts from Judaism as well as from paganism, the first Jews and Gentiles. Peter worked the first miracle. Peter meted out the first punishment of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. Um, um, So anyhow, um, it's uh, it's interesting, some of the proofs that they use. But let's look at what the scriptures teach. And let's compare them with the office of Pope today and see if Peter would have met the qualifications. Could he have been the first Pope? Um, what's uh, what's the reason why you th- you have a problem with that, David, from the scriptures? Peter said that um, placed placed someone as the chief cornerstone, as okay. the building block of the church. And we read in First Peter chapter two verses six through seven. He he didn't say he was the chief cornerstone. He didn't say everyone look to me and follow me. In First Peter two six and seven, we said. We read, Wherefore also is contained in Scripture, Behold, Allah in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be uh, condemned. For you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which is, um, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head and the corner. The chief cornerstone. Okay. All right. So you say that Christ is the head. Here's what the Catholics say about this. This is from walpolecatholic.net. As vicar of Jesus Christ, the Pope governs the Catholic Church as its supreme head. The Pope is it's the Catholic Church's supreme head. The Pope, as Bishop of Rome, is the chief pastor and shepherd of the whole church. We believe the Pope is the successor of Peter, and his bishops are the successors of the Twelve Apostles. It is clear throughout that it is a question of the bishops acting in conjunction with their head, never the bishops acting independently of the Pope. In latter instance, without the action of the head, the bishops are not able to act as a college. Uh, And so uh, it goes on. um, in In the Acts of the Apostles, we come to know Peter is the head of the early church. When Peter is given the keys of the kingdom or to the kingdom, Christ is establishing the divine office of leadership over the church. The, per, uh, the permanence of the office of the Pope is essential to the everlasting nature of the church. The Catholic Catechism says the Roman Pontiff, head of the College of Bishops, enjoys, uh, let's see, um, he is the supreme pastor and teacher of all the faithful. Um, and, um, and so um, he is the head of the church. Well, that's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach very clearly who the head of the church. Christ is the head, the, the cornerstone. Chief cornerstone. Ephesians one verse twenty two, speaking of Christ, and has put all things under his feet, and gave him gave gave him to be head over all things to the church. Christ is head of the church, Bob, right. not the Pope. Yeah, again in Colossians chapter one, I'll start looking at verse thirteen. It says, 
He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. So clearly, Jesus Christ... Not only is the head, but we, we also, as we looked at Acts chapter 20, verse 28, that he purchased the church yes. with his own blood. So right. he, it, he rightfully is ranked as the head of that, the body, the church. Exactly. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 23 says, for, us, the hus- for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Christ is head of the church. The Catholics want to teach that the pope is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. The scriptures are clear on that. First Timothy six is a great place to go. I was reading some of these descriptions, uh, uh, the question box uh, from San Francisco Catholic Truth Society states this about the Pope. In matters of jurisdiction, the Pope enjoys supreme, universal and immediate jurisdiction over the whole church and every member of it. Let's look at what first Timothy six says. 1 Timothy 6, verses 15 and 16. Okay. Which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potent, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Doesn't it sound like that power rests in man's hands? No. Not at all. In any man. All right. A couple of comments from the chat room, then we're going to get a break. Eric says, Peter points to the true shepherd and overseer of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Christ is the, is the head of the, the, of the church, the, the uh, chief shepherd. Matthew, uh, Brian in California references Acts 2, verse 42, speaks of the apostles' doctrine. It wasn't referenced as Peter's doctrine, the rightful heir of Jesus. No, Peter was one of the 12 men appointed by Christ. No more, no less, as I understand it. Thank you for that, Brian, and thank you, Eric. And thank you for uh, your comments in advance. Uh, get those in ahead of time here as we go on to our break. Get them ready for us when we return. When we get back, we'll continue looking at reasons why Pope Peter could not have been the first pope. There are numerous reasons. Numerous reasons. The scriptures are clear. Peter could not have been the first pope. We're going to get to that on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Here's a quick thought. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Psalm 16, verse 8. Are you looking for direction in your life that cannot be shaken? Then set the Lord before you in every way. Live life with purpose and confidence and boldness, trusting in the Lord and His promises. Seize the day. 
Here's some quotes worth pondering. Our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to try just one more time. How we think shows through in how we act. Attitudes are mirrors of the mind. They reflect thinking. Man, wish I'd said that. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> the virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program tonight as we look at uh, what the Catholics teach about the Pope and compare it with what the Scriptures teach. Again, this is the only way that we're going to be able to know if, if a doctrine or practice is correct, if it's accepted by God, is what do the Scriptures teach. And we're comparing what the Scriptures teach with what the Catholics teach about uh, about the Pope. Pete, Pope the Pope, Peter could not have been the first Pope because Christ is the head, and the Catholics say that the Pope is the head of the church, so therefore Peter could not have been the Pope because he wasn't the head of the church. Christ was the head of the church, and still is the head of the church. And I want to tell you there's another reason why Peter is not the Pope, uh, or was not the first Pope, and that's because Peter wasn't distinguished as being any more special or significant than the other of the apostles. Right. Bob, I can read my entire New Testament, and I don't see anywhere where Peter's set apart as being special. In fact, I see just the opposite of that. Um, from Catholic.com, uh, because Peter was made the foundation of the church, there were practical implications. It gave him a special place or primacy among the apostles. He was in a special place. He was over the other apostles, they would say. Yet, the scriptures show a different uh, story to that. In Galatians chapter 2, beginning verse 1, uh, David, why don't you read Galatians 2, verses 1 through 9, and uh, we'll see that there's no special distinction made from about Peter here uh, in, uh, as, as Paul encounters him in Jerusalem. And that's the important question. Men can say many things, but what does the Bible say? Okay. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because a false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary... When they saw the gospel for the uncircumcised and had been committed to me, as the gospel of the circumcised was to Peter, for he who was worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to this circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we would go to the Gentiles, and they... To the circumcised. So there's a couple things here. Paul says there may have been some who seemed uh, to be uh, special or something, or seemed to be something, but they weren't anything to Paul. Paul didn't recognize there being any special office there in Jerusalem. And then it gets down in verse 8, and it said, um, or sorry, verse 9, when James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, 
Well, Peter, James, and John seemed to be pillars. Paul didn't know that they had any special office. They just seemed to be, you know, somewhat somewhat of a, a prominent folks who were, you know, they were leaders, you mm-hmm. would say. But they didn't have any special office well, other than was, elder. And there wasn't just one. There were three. There were three. Yeah. And, and Peter, I mean, Paul didn't see that there was anything special about Peter. But the Catholics say that he was given a special place or primacy among the apostles. I don't see that picture in Galatians chapter 2. Paul didn't understand it. Paul didn't see it. Uh, 931-381-4567. Let us know your thoughts as we look at reasons why Peter could not have been the first pope. Third reason why this evening we want to look at the, that the pope could, Peter could not have been the first pope is there's this idea of papal infallibility, that the pope is infallible. Now, there's some confusion about this in the religious world, mm-hmm. admittedly. Many folks believe that this doctrine teaches that the Pope cannot sin, and uh, it doesn't take a lot of research to find out that Catholics don't believe that. Uh, they do believe that the Pope can uh, sin and, uh, and that he has the ability to sin. But they say that when he speaks and teaches in matters of faith that, or morals, he is infallible, that he, he cannot be wrong when he, when he teaches in the matters of faith and morals. Well, that, again, doesn't line up with what we see in the Scriptures. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he, he opens up the door that no man is infallible. In Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what we have received, or what you received, let him be accursed. Paul says... If anyone were to say something that doesn't line up with what the Scriptures teach, let him be accursed. He didn't say, you know, it would be possible for the Pope to say something different. He says no man has the ability to be infallible where he speaks, and it's it's gospel. It has to line up with the gospel. Another problem with that is, how would I know? How would I know? If the Pope is being infallible now, or he's he's being infallible, if he has to, it's only certain times when he's infallible. How do I know that what he's teaching is the truth? Well, Jesus gives us a good way of knowing somebody by their conduct or their fruits. Okay, you know that's right. And uh, and particularly about being uh, aware of uh, false teaching. Yep. Uh, he tells us that we can know them by the fruits. Well, how can we know them by their fruits? The only way to know if something is accurate with the truth is to know the truth ourselves yeah. by our study. Yeah. You know, giving diligence to the scriptures. That's right. That's right. We so, have to compare the, tr- the what we've been taught with what the scriptures teach. That's right. I think a lot of our listeners could look online and see a long list of men that have been designated pope. They can also look online and see what those men taught. Have they been consistent for all times in all manners? And the answer to that is no. They have changed. They've made modifications. They've referred to past Pope teachings, and they've had to correct it or modify it or change it or shift it. Yeah. You can't change God's word. I mean, it's absolute truth. And if the Pope is is teaching things that are not in accordance with God's word and things that have to be changed, where's the infallibility? Peter was not infallible. And uh, Grant and Janie referenced uh, Galatians chapter 2, where Peter was rebuked by Paul. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. 
so again, lots of uh, reason for concern here with this idea of papal infallibility. Peter wasn't infallible, and uh, he could not have been the first pope. Number four reasons why Peter could not have been the first pope. Peter was forbidden to accept the honor that the pope receives today. From Catholic.com in their encyclopedia on the pope, says talks about the insignia and marks of honor that the pope wears and, uh, and has with him. It says this, The pope is distinguished by the use of the tiara or triple crown. At what date the custom of crowning the Pope was introduced is unknown. It was certainly previous to the forged donation of Constantine, which dates from the commencement of the ninth century, for mention is there made of the Pope's coronation. The Triple Crown is of much later origin. The Pope, moreover, does not, like ordinary bishops, use the bent pastoral staff, but only the erect cross. The custom was introduced before the reign of Innocent III in, from 1198 to 1216. He further uses the pallium at all ecclesiastical functions and not under the same restrictions as do the archbishops of, on whom he has conferred it. The kissing of the Pope's foot, the characteristic act of reverence by which all the faithful do honor him as the vicar of Christ, is found as early as the 8th century. We read of Emperor Justinian II paid this respect to Pope Constantine in 708 to 716. Even at an earlier date, Emperor Justin had prostrated himself before Pope John I. And Justinian I, before Augustus, the Pope, it may be added, ranks as the first Christian princes, and in Catholic countries his ambassadors have precedence over other members of the diplomatic body. So the Pope wears a crown. He has a special staff that's different than everybody else. And you kiss his foot to show reverence. And you prostrate yourself before the Pope. Did Pope, or did Peter accept this type of honor and reverence and, dare we say, worship? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In Acts chapter 10, remember when he goes to see Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, verse 25, beginning, as Peter's coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. You ever see the Pope doing that when people want to go kiss his feet? Does he say, Get up, I'm just a man? No, he accepts that worship. Uh, It's unbelievable. It's it's against everything we read in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, did Jesus, who was the Son of God, how did he act and treat his apostles? He, he even washed their feet. Uh, servitude, humility, um, but, but no man that we read of in the Scriptures promotes this type of worship upon himself. And they call, obviously, the Pope... Father, the, Pope, the word Pope means Father. They call him Father. They go as far as calling him the Holy Father. Blasphemous, dare I say. Yet Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 9, Do not call anyone on earth your Father, for one is your Father who is in heaven. Jesus was confronting and dealing with this idea of religious notoriety and recognition, where the, the Jews wanted to, to have this special recognition and christ said don't do that if the 
Pope is accepting that type of honor and reverence today. I think Jesus knows the hearts of man. So I think it doesn't take, he foresaw that one person, people love prominence. The Pharisees love those offices of prominence. They wanted to be seen as important people. So he knows that, I, I don't, I'm not saying that he foresaw the Catholic Church, but obviously he, well, he saw the hearts of man. He knew that that man is a selfish individual, that we, we want and crave power and prominence and we want to be important. So call no man father. There's no one is superior to God and the Son. So. Harold in Alabama says he w- Peter would have been a <clears throat> perpetual sinner violating Christ's commands of Matthew 23, verse 9, where you were not to accept that type of, of distinct, distinction uh, as uh, we we see from the Scriptures. Um we need to get a break. When we get back, there's still lots to talk about as to reasons why Peter was not the first pope. Grant and Janie said we need to use Bible names for Bible things. I see nowhere in the scripture the term pope. Amen to that. If this is such an important office, why isn't it mentioned in the scriptures? We don't see that. Nowhere. Nowhere. We're going to get a break at this week's bullet point. When we get back, we'll continue the discussion. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. It seems that many of our brethren are determined to be non-traditional in their beliefs and practices. It has almost reached the point where being traditional is now the uncommon thing. The approach and mindset of some is apparently this. If this is the way it's always been done, it must be wrong. Let's change it. Concerning this non-traditional way of thinking, let us offer these observations. First, if any tradition is being bound in place of or in favor of God's law, then such tradition should be immediately exposed, denounced, and discarded. In rebuking the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus said, For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men. Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. Mark 7, verses 8 through 13. Let us never be guilty of binding our human traditions as the Pharisees did. Second, remember that some traditions are handed down to us by divine inspiration, and these are important and necessary to our salvation. Paul said, quote, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or epistles, 2 Thessalonians 2.15. And he instructed this, quote, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. Therefore, it is essential that we honor every God-given tradition. Third, and finally, think about this. Things that are done traditionally, that is, based on lawful areas of judgment, these have become traditional for a reason. Basically, these specific ways and means have been chosen because they work well. Good and wise brethren have seen the expediency of these methods over time, and thus they have grown to be the norm. Changing these things just to demonstrate that we are non-traditional is neither prudent nor necessary. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Roger Toombs, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. 
and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3, 17. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight. Reminding you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about the College of Church of Christ uh, by visiting collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblesday.com. And, um, Kyle, there's a bunch of new videos in that uh that uh, channel you got there, what, what, where did all those come from? Yeah, we had a fantastic uh, gospel meeting last week. Our fall gospel meeting just concluded this past Friday and was had some very good lessons. And I encourage anybody, there's a playlist there if you want to just go through, start from beginning to end or just watch all the videos. And there's always some good lessons coming up from Greg, uh, Bible studies and sermons. So there's a lot of, every, there's a wealth of information. Every today. lesson is there. Every Bible class. Yep, wow. There. Lots of material. Check it out. College U live stream on YouTube. We're talking about the Pope tonight and asking the question, can Peter have, could Peter have been the first Pope? Mohan in Illinois really plays, puts it pretty simple for us. No, simply because the Bible does not say so. Um, that gets down to it, doesn't it? Yes. If, if you would think, as we mentioned before the break, is something an office this significant would be mentioned throughout the New Testament. Not only the significant, the structure, just not the Pope. Where's the structure of the bishops, the archbishops, and the whole the parishes uh, and all this? Not there. Why would that not be there if it's that important and that critical? And and we've looked at how critical they believe it is that we have this office. And the succession all the way back to Peter, not anywhere in the scriptures. That ought to tell us something. Jesus spent a lot of time about talking about the church, uh, the body, uh, his his uh, the letters we have give us a lot of detail about the structure. Yep, that's what we need to follow. Uh, during the break, uh, David, you mentioned uh, Paul didn't see himself as being inferior. As we talk about the supremacy of uh, the Pope. And Peter, his supremacy, um, th- there's no understanding of that in, in Paul's eyes. Not at all. Actually, what was happening in first, um, sorry, Second Corinthians eleven five, Second Corinthians twelve eleven, Paul is dealing with this issue that he is somehow less than yep. the other apostles. He doesn't signal out Peter or any of the other ones, but he states that he's not inferior to any of them. That they were all serving the purpose that God had set for these specific men to carry out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dwight and Michelle uh, in the chat room uh, send in, Peter was not the first pope. The word pope actually means father. Latin word is papa, which means father. In Matthew 23, verse 9, it says, Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. If this verse is right, then Peter was in, was no way in no way a pope at any time. Also, the office of Pope is not even in the Bible. Peter was a disciple, elder, and apostle. That is what the Scriptures teaches, nothing about the Pope. Also, Peter was married, which is against the Catholics' beliefs. That's another comment that was brought up by Kent. Um, He says Peter was never a Pope. In Matthew 8, verses 14 and 15, we read of Peter's mother-in-law. One cannot have a mother-in-law without being married, and one cannot be married and be a Pope. Therefore, Peter was never a Pope. Uh, Peter was also never a member of the Roman Catholic Church. He lived and died prior to the development of such an apostasy. Of, of such apostasy, good comment there. Um, yeah, hey, uh, look at this. Look at what the the, uh, the Catholics say from the Catholic Catechism. All ordained ministers of the Latin Church, with the exception of permanent deacons, are normally chosen from men among men 
of faith who live a celibate life and who intend to remain celibate for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, called to consecrate themselves with undivided heart to the Lord and to the affairs of the Lord, they give themselves entirely to God and to men. Celibacy is a sign of this new life to the service of which the church's minister is consecrated, accepted with a joyous heart, celibacy radiantly proclaims the reign of God. The Pope has to be celibate. What do you say about that, Bob? Well, uh, Paul dealt, I believe, with this, as you made mention of, uh, about a departure from the faith in First Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 1. The record says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So uh, what you just brought out about this idea of not being married, uh, Paul would say, you know, talking about a departure from the faith, uh, he includes the idea that uh, there would be those that would forbid marriage, you yeah. know. Yeah. So... Uh, and we know Peter indeed was married. As you brought out, he had a mother-in-law, but he was also an elder. Yeah. And the qualifications given to us, uh, a man to desire to the office of an elder or a bishop, in that instance where it's uh, equivalent to one another, uh, Peter was uh, an elder, and he also had one wife. So that's exactly right. Titus chapter one, verses five and six, and uh, it tells us that uh, the husband, the, the elders, to be a husband of one wife. Peter says he was an elder. First Peter five verse one, the elders among you, uh, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder. So therefore, if an elder has to be married, Peter says he was an elder. Then he would have had to have been the husband of one wife. And as we mentioned. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 14, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 30, Luke chapter 4, sorry, Mark chapter 1, verse 30, Luke chapter 4, verse 38, reference Paul's mother-in-law. Uh, and then 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5, Paul says, Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brother of the Lord, and Cephas? Cephas had a wife. That's Peter. He had a wife, and the other apostles did. But now the catechism of the Catholic Church says that um, these people are going to have to be celibate. doesn't line up with the description of the office that they hold. And Grant Janie uh, mentioned in the chat room, Peter was an elder. Therefore, yeah. he was married. That's correct. All right. All right. So uh, interesting uh, observations there. Uh, clearly, uh, Peter was married. He wouldn't be qualified to be a pope, according to the Catholic Church. Uh, so he was not the first pope. Um, all right, let's see here. What else do we have? Uh, Harold in the chat room referenced this. He says he was married, Mark one thirty, Luke 4.38, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5. Um, okay, I think we've gotten our comments there. Um, all right, let's see. Um, let's get a break. When we get back, we quickly need to go over Mark Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 13 through 19, uh, common defense for the office of the Pope, and that Peter was the first Pope when uh, Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church. Does that mean that there is the office of Pope, then that Peter was the first Pope? 
Uh, and then there's some very important implications for us in the religious world today. Is the po- office of Pope okay, even though it's not mentioned in the Scriptures? Can we add the office of the Pope? And if not, what does that mean? We're going to get to that on the other side. Hopefully we're going to go fast. We're going to get to it right now uh, after this break. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Researchers from the University of Oxford studied 25,000 people and found disturbing effects of any amount of alcohol consumption. The study focused on the effects of drinking on gray matter in the brain. That's the region that processes information in our brains. The more people drank, the lower the volume of gray matter they maintained. The conclusion of the Oxford research was, quote, there is no safe level of drinking, unquote. That information is via Forbes.com. The Word of God says in Proverbs 23, beginning verse 31, Do not look at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. All right, we've laced up our running shoes good and tight here during the break because we're going to go fast to the top of the hour. We've got to get to this idea of Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. In the f- common, I mean, the familiar passage where Peter admits that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and Jesus says, you are Peter, on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Is Jesus establishing Peter as the first pope when he said he's going to build his church on this rock? Well, no, I think uh, what he's saying is when he says, upon this rock I will build my church, he is making mention of what Peter said about the Christ, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And based upon that fact that he is the Son of God, that he would build his church upon this rock. That rock there is different from the term Peter, as we've noted it. It means, you know, stone. And I think, if I'm correct, that the rock we're looking at here is a huge granite, you know. Okay. So... Uh, again, the church was based on the fact that he is God's son and not on a person. All right, well, and, and uh, let's look at the blueprint for the church because the blueprint's very clearly defined in scriptures. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore it is contained in scripture, and this is Peter writing, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. What's the chief cornerstone that is being built upon? Is it Peter? No, it's, it's Christ. Christ. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, Jesus said, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is that stone that the church is built upon. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, does mention Peter, but it mentions the apostles. Peter's included in that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, 
the church having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The church is not built upon Peter as being the, the foundation of the church. Uh, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. It's built on the foundation of the apostles, but Peter is not the first pope. And Peter goes on in his own letter, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 8, and he identifies the rock. He identifies in another way of the chief cornerstone. And this is an actual stone that Peter references. And he says, 1 Peter 2, 8, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, where also they were appointed. Christ is the stone. He's the chief cornerstone. Chief cornerstone. Yep. All right. Dwight and Michelle in the chat room. Peter was also the one who saw the vision of food where God said not to call anything unclean. The Catholics forbid certain foods. Very interesting. Brian in California, haven't popes been chosen on multiple ballots? The collection of the College of Cardinals? Just unfathomable to think that the Lord's Church would be governed on earth by a man selected of men. It does seem unfathomable, Brian. have to agree about that. Now, so... Does the Bible even teach that the the office of the Pope should exist? It's clear from the scriptures it doesn't, Bob. There's nothing mentioned there nothing concerning mentioned. it. So we have to ask the question. It's clear the Bible doesn't teach that the Pope uh, the office of Pope should exist. Is it okay for it to exist? Since it doesn't it, it doesn't mention the Pope, it doesn't say you can't have that office. Is the office of Pope okay? No, not according to the silence of the Scripture, and we have to have authority for whatever we do, as Colossians three seventeen tells us. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. That's what uh, Harold said in his comment. He said the office should not exist because of Colossians 3, verse 17, that we have to have authority for all that we do. And we can't act on the silence of the Scriptures and just say, well, it doesn't say not to. I think, that, I think the idea would be okay. No, we have to have authority. Um, and then Harold references Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. He says, what does, does not build up tears down. And Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, uh, 4, verses 11 through 13, David, that, that list lists a lot of offices in the church. Don't see the Pope there. No, what I see here is that he gave some apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for yeah. the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. But yet the word Pope, Archbishop, and a variety of other terms are not found in that list. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then uh, from Calhoun, Georgia, Kent says the New Testament does not authorize the office of Pope. Second John verse 9 talks uh, warns uh, against um, uh, going beyond the doctrine of Christ. Um, and so we can't go beyond. It does not authorize it. It's not mentioned. Elders are the only scriptural organized overseers of God's people, and their oversight is limited to the local church where they are members, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. Any organized collective functioning religious work larger than the local church does not belong to God. And since it's not taught in the Bible, uh, Kent concludes, no, the office of Pope should not exist. Anything for which there there is no New Testament authority is sinful, uh, Colossians 3.17 and 2 John verse 9. And uh, Dwight in uh, Iowa says, uh, he references that passage in Hebrews 4, verses 11 and 12, lists things that are for the equipping of the body of Christ, or edifying the body of Christ, and nothing in there about the Pope. And it's, it is against God's law for this name to be given. We are to have authority to do and say anything pertaining to God's word. 
Colossians 3, verse 17. Uh, also, it says in Matthew 23, to call no man rabbi or father. Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19 uh, says that if you add to uh, the words of the prophecy of this book, uh, God will add to you the plagues written that are written in the book. Uh, so, yeah, no authority uh, for the Pope. And Mohan says, no, just no, because we can't just make up a leader not specified in the Bible. So you can't just make it up. Appreciate those comments. So having established that, I don't think anyone argues with that. I don't think anyone who's not a Catholic would say, no, we can't have a pope because it's not in the Bible. But I think there's some other implications here for the denominational world as a whole. Because there's all type of structure and organization and office even in denominations in the world today that are nowhere mentioned in the scriptures. So if we can't have the Pope, and everyone would agree with that other than the Catholics, why these denominational hierarchies and organizations and structures? What's the difference? One is delivered by the mind of man, and one is delivered by God. And there's where we have a difference. If it's not in the Bible, which is delivered to us from God, who's coming up with these ideas and these thoughts and these practices? It's man. Does the Bible say anything about that? Right. Are there any scriptures that would indicate that man is not in control and have the ability to make up the rules? Bob? Uh, Jesus gives a, a warning in uh, Matthew 15 and verse 13 after talking uh, to some of the scribes and Pharisees about uh, the apostles not washing their hands before they ate, a ceremonial rite, he would say, in the beginning of verse 13, but he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall in the ditch. So whatever God has not planted, and what we're, what we're talking about are religious organizations, and there's so many of them out there. If we go right back to First Testament Christianity, we, we understand that there's only one true church. You know, there's only one body, like we, we can read about in Ephesians chapter 4. Yeah. So all these escalons of denominationalism, uh, it's just not in the Bible, but it, it, it's the clear warning that Paul talked about in latter days, some will depart from the faith, and it's, it's evident even now in the 21st century. Yeah, it's so, but it's so apparent when we compare that with the office of the Pope, and everyone could say, well, yeah, that, that's not right. But if it's not right, if it's not acceptable, then what about your synod? Or what about your convention? Or what, what about your creeds? What about your president? What about your head of your denomination? Where's the authority for that? And it, whatever reasoning you can give to support that would be the same reasoning we could use to support the idea of the Pope. Because it's not, it's not mentioned in Scripture, it's not authorized, so if you're going to accept one, you've got to accept the other. They stand or fall together, and we've got to make sure that we're going back to the Scriptures and we have authority for all that we do teach and practice absolutely all right our emailers uh, commented on this tonight uh harold says yes there are many religious offices that have been invented invented such as pope many offices redefined such as pastor and many changed such as bishop apostle and elder even extended to women 
uh, in First Timothy three verse two would specify the need for uh, men in those roles. Uh, thank you, Harold, for those comments tonight. Kent says, uh, yes, it does have implication. Denominational organizations uh, do uh, not uh, align with the New Testament pattern and have no scriptural right to exist. Ephesians verse uh, 1, verses 22 and 23. Thank you for that, Kent. Um, and Dwight agrees. Many denominational preachers carry the name elder or pastor, which are biblical names, but do not even come close to meeting the qualifications mentioned in Timothy and Titus. We have to have authority, the right to hold certain positions in the church. When we do not meet these qualifications and take on the name anyway, we violate God's word and will be held accountable. The the scriptures are very clear on these names and titles we go by. Just as the name of Christ's church have no right in calling ourselves anything other than Christians. We are his followers, his uh, disciples. His church belongs to him, not some man, and that's why it's called the Church of Christ. Thank you, Dwight, for that. Well, good comments from our listeners tonight on this important topic, but it it does matter how we're organized. It does matter the offices in the church. We've got to have authority for them. And again, if you can see the error of having a pope, then you also can see the error of having any denominational structure other than the church and any any type of office other than the offices that are mentioned in the scriptures or how the church should be organized. Um, No bishops uh, that are head over multiple congregations or certain regions or territories, no cardinals, um, no popes, no presidents, uh, just simply not mentioned in the scriptures. All right. Uh, Kyle, any thoughts from you tonight as we wrap things up here? I think it's a great study. I think it's obviously extremely important because there are millions millions of millions around the world who are following this doctrine. And uh, I think we have to take individual Christians, they take ownership of their own uh, reading of the word, not listening, not not depending upon uh, a a priest. We have to take ownership of our studying and there's no laity. We make sure that we're, so there's, yeah, that's a great study. I think it's, there could be multiple, multiple studies on the Catholicism. So it's a, yeah, this lesson breaks it down entirely, though. So. Uh, Grant and Janie in the chat room said, when you study the New Testament, it describes the organization of the church on earth. It includes evangelists, pastors, or elders, deacons, and members. Anything else would be unauthorized. And I think it makes it very clear. Appreciate that comment. So lots of people in error, uh, Bob, and lots of people following things that aren't substantiating the scriptures. What's the antidote to this problem? What's the what's the cure to being led astray with all of this uh, doctrinal, denominational error that we see in the world around us? Well, simply to go back to what the Bible teaches and uh, to meditate upon what he said and also prayer. Uh, if we lack wisdom... You know, we go to our Father for prayer. Well, I think we can also do that with our knowledge. You know, if we're lacking knowledge, you know, one way to, to fix a lack of knowledge is to put knowledge in there. Yep. And this is the only path yep. that's accurate yep. that will guide us in the right pattern. Uh, but it's scary, right. David, uh, how much error is out there and how many people have been led astray by it. And it ought to serve as a warning for us all to go back to the Scriptures and make sure that we have authority for what we believe. Absolutely. You um, 
we've mentioned it multiple times, and the way we've concluded this is not just a lesson or study on Catholicism, but any religious uh, sect or denomination yeah. that doesn't follow the Bible. Proverbs sixteen twenty five. I think it's a great way to end this conversation sure. tonight. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. We all must be dedicated to the Holy Word of God, studying it and following it. It's the only way we're going to be pleasing to Him. I can't make up the way myself. It, it, just because it seems good, seems right, seems reasonable to me, that doesn't mean it's right. God's Word defines what's right and what's wrong. I've got to make sure that I align with it. And uh, so this is a this is an a, a opportunity for us all to maybe do a check here and say, Am I? Following is the organization, is, the, is the, group, the church I'm a member of. Is it following the scriptures in every area, or have we gone off into these teachings and ideas of men because we know the end thereof are the ways of death, as you reference there from Proverbs chapter 16. Kyle, thanks for helping us get it out on the air tonight. Appreciate you being here, uh, Bob and uh, David. Thank you for your comments as well. Enjoyed uh, the study with you tonight. Good to be with you tonight. And appreciate with you both. Appreciate you listening on the other end of the line tonight. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.